Internet. This is the very first Willow podcast, and I'm here with Angela, one of the therapists on Willow. And today we're going to talk with her, kind of figure out her perspective on therapy 2021, what she's learned as she did her degree and things like that. Angela, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your education and your background and things like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Angela and I'm an MFT. I'm a marriage and family therapist. I'm also a licensed psychologist here in Mexico. And I want to start by talking a little bit about my previous experience. Uh, I'm 27 years old. Like I said, I'm a licensed psychologist here in Mexico. Um, First of all, I studied psychology at Universidad Iberoamericana, that's here in Mexico City. And I graduated in 2018. And then I kind of wanted, I knew I wanted to do something um, regarding family and couples therapy. I just didn't know the exact path or where to go. So I started doing some research and I found this amazing program at Northwestern University, specifically at the Family Institute. So that's kind of where the clinic was and where I took my classes and where I did my training. Um, A little bit back in undergrad in this university, we have practicum classes. In those classes, we we kind of see clients. We do more like brief interventions. We have supervision. It's not psychotherapy, um, it's psychology. And I had the opportunity to work with small children, adolescents, senior senior citizens, um, eating disorder patients. I also did group therapy. I had a lot of experience there and it was super rewarding. It was, um, most of the part, it was tough and it was challenging because these type of populations are uh, low income, even people in poverty situations, which is really heartbreaking, but it really gives you an opportunity to see different realities and really understand the needs of your own country. Um, so that made me really, really aware of, of who I wanted to be as a therapist. And it was actually really good because I had quite experience. You know, I had a lot of experience when I when I started the program at the Family Institute. Um, and once I, I graduated from undergrad, I went to, I did my master's and there I worked as a psychotherapist and I worked in the clinic and I also worked at the community program, which was a very beautiful program. Um, there we saw we did a lot of home visits and we also saw people in vulnerable situations. We saw Latinx community, LGBT community, um, migrant community, and it was really, really cool. Um, and talking about experience and what type of clients I've seen over the years, I have worked with multicultural couples, a lot with multicultural families because of my background. I also had the opportunity to work with complex grief. Um, I also worked with mood disorders or survivors of sexual abuse. I also worked with life transitions, uh, breakup and divorce. For some reason, there was a lot of breakup and divorce. Um, And in the community program, uh, mostly Latinx community and um, LGBTQ plus community, specifically trans people. So that's a little bit about my background. Got it. And so, yeah, you mentioned psychology and psychotherapy. Do you think you can give us a little bit 
more context around what those two words mean, how they're the same, how they're different? Of course. Um, well, here in Mexico specifically, you cannot do psychotherapy if you're only a psychologist because psychology, it, it's a science, uh, the science that studies the human mind and behaviors. And psychotherapy is another type of um, of training. It requires more training. It requires more hours, uh, specific subjects. And psychotherapy has different models, right? So we have psychodynamic, we have CBT, we have um, gestalt, we have humanistic approach. Um, it's different. And well, um, for example, in the US and here, you don't need to be a psychologist in order to be a psychotherapist because you can always do a training in psychotherapy no matter what your previous background is. I mean, you could be an engineer and you could still do a master's in psychotherapy. I actually, in my in my master's, I had several friends who were lawyers, who were um, people who so used to cool. work in marketing. So mm -hmm. it, yeah, that's kind of uh, something cool because you give a lot of people the opportunity to really thrive and cultivate mm -hmm. that really cool area of themselves. Got it. And so, as a client, if I was to go visit a psychologist, how would my experience differ compared to me visiting a psychotherapist? Okay. So, for example, in Mexico, if you went to a psychologist, it's probably because you need an evaluation. Maybe you need to do an IQ test. Maybe you need, um, um, you know, like, a, you don't know which career to study and you go to the psychologist to get a battery of tests. Psychologists can also work in human resources. They can also work mm -hmm. in marketing. They can also work doing uh, workshops or small interventions, maybe co-therapy, but not leading a, a psychotherapy session. Mm -hmm. And if you went to psychotherapy, you mm -hmm. would be in a more self and mindful process. You would be starting psychotherapy Got i know it. it sounds weird but yeah uh -huh. like that's yeah. the difference makes sense cool uh, and so yeah you you mentioned that you've been practicing for about three years um and then i think you also mentioned that there were lots of like relationship problems in 2020 um and i i guess we can all assume that it's because of covid but were there any other problems that you saw come up frequently in 2020 compared to prior years yeah i did i did and i have here Yes. So common, common problems that I saw during 2020, a lot of conflict within mm -hmm. couples. And it seems that the common factor is the fact that people are spending more time together. Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's necessarily that there are more problems. Problems were already there. It's just that we uh -huh. had different ways of coping with those problems. And now, because we've been forced to spend more mm -hmm. time our loved ones, more conflict has has been popping up, right? Mm -hmm. Which is which makes sense. Um, we we can also add the factor that we're stressed. We are living. We are going through a traumatic experience, all mm -hmm. of us, and we didn't necessarily have the skills and tools in place in order to navigate this in another way. Mm -hmm. I've also seen a lot of anxiety, which. Mm -hmm course makes sense mm -hmm. um depression especially for people who who have long, long distance relationships who mm -hmm. are living in another country who are doing who are right now in a program you know like studying abroad those people 
people who started those programs haven't had the opportunity to make like a, a support system. So mm -hmm. they feel very isolated. So that's something that I've seen as well. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so do you have any like tips and tricks you could give for anybody who's watching that might be going through some difficulties with their partner or if they're feeling anxiety or things like that? Yes. Um, well, what I usually do in my sessions and even in my online sessions and in-person sessions, I really like to get my patients involved in the process mm -hmm. and I do a lot of psychoeducation. So the most frequent um, presenting problem that I've seen is anxiety. So mm -hmm. a very good way to reduce anxiety, first of all, doing relaxation, relaxation exercises. So mm -hmm. you can do that with breathing. You can do something really cool that's called um, PMR, progressive muscle relaxation. And it's super basic. It's just like tensing your body and then mm -hmm. relax. Um, meditating. So how, long, how long do you tense for? Is it five seconds on, five seconds off or whatever feels yeah. good? five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever you think you need, mm -hmm. uh, do it with every part of your body and mm -hmm. then relax and then tense again and then relax. That's a very good way. I also like using a grounding technique, which mm -hmm. you, it's very simple. You just, you're just sitting in your chair in a very comfortable position. You do a mental scan. You try to identify how you're feeling it's very important to give yourself permission to feel the anxiety because anxiety, anxiety is there for a reason. Sometimes not a very um, rational reason. Sometimes, you know, anxiety can, can, can perceive a threat that's not there, but it's important mm -hmm. to really understand the stressors around your life. For example, mm -hmm. there are things that you could do to avoid anxiety, reducing uh, coffee intake, reducing nicotine intake, mm -hmm. um, having small, small breaks between um, meetings, between, you know, if you're a student, between classes, uh, drinking water, eating, eating healthy, um, moving your body, right? That's a really mm -hmm. good way to get the anxiety out by just moving your body, going mm -hmm. for a walk, dancing, yoga, whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Sounds like taking your mind off of it and focusing on something else. Yeah. Yeah, in part, it's that also you can do a very cool technique where you identify it's with your senses. I don't remember exactly right now, but it's something like name in your mind, right? Name five things that you can see, uh, four things that you can touch, three things that you can taste, two things that you can smell. Oh, cool. and one. Yeah, that's a really cool grounding technique. Sweet. Cool. And so uh, do you think you can tell us like a, a story of a pa of a patient, you know, without violating any privacy laws that is inspiring, that really stuck with you or warmed your heart or, you know, whatever comes to mind? Yes, I, um, I was thinking about it yesterday, and I think this one is one of my favorite stories. Um, I was at my master's and I saw clients like I, like I talked before, and I had these, um, this little kid, he was like, uh, seven, eight, and we were in a session and he, I, I do play therapy with kids. You do play game therapy, right? So mm -hmm. we play kids don't have the level of awareness to really talk about, um, mm -hmm. their feeling they do. They, they are very good at, by at identifying their feelings, but they're not as good as, uh, as adults talking about feelings. Mm -hmm. So we were in the session and these kid was telling me that he was super angry. He was feeling super angry because someone at school grabbed a toy he was playing with. 
Um, and, and I told him, oh, yeah, I get really, really angry when people take my stuff, too. And he was amazed that I felt anger. He was like, what? You feel anger? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I feel sadness, happiness, anger, just mm -hmm. as you. And this kid was amazed. He, it blew him, his mind that I felt anger, just like him. And mm -hmm. it was really powerful because I thought to myself, what are we teaching as a society, as mm -hmm. adults, about feelings? Um, and it really hit me. And I've been thinking this for a long time. And I think it's something that we all can relate to. Mm -hmm. uh, quote unquote, bad feelings such as anger and sadness, people don't really tolerate them. Uh, we mm -hmm. don't know how to respond to those feelings. We usually say like something like, oh, stop crying. Oh, why are you angry? No, stop mm -hmm. being angry. Instead of validating, right? Um, instead of letting us feel whatever we need to feel. And mm -hmm. I don't know, it's really common for patients to say, I want to control my feelings. Mm -hmm. And I'm very clear with that. I'm like, that's not going to happen. We can't control feelings. Mm -hmm. If someone out there finds the box where the feelings are, Give me a call because I can't find it. Um, <laughs> we learn how to navigate feelings. Mm -hmm. We learn how to, the difference between reacting and responding to our feelings. That's something that we can do, but control never. So I think it's a really cool story and yeah. people can relate. Yeah, totally. And so yeah, what, what's the difference between reacting and responding? Um, that's a good question. I was just explaining that to a couple I, I saw oh. today. Nice. So reaction is much more, it's impulsive. It's much uh -huh. more emotional, right? Uh -huh. And responding, responding, it, it's more rational. You uh -huh. take a moment to do a mental scan and to really formulate a good or an appropriate response. And the reaction is almost instinctive. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And you, you also mentioned this word validate. So can you kind of help us understand a little bit, what does it mean to validate somebody else's feelings? I love validation. Um, the moment I found out that <laughs> we tend to invalidate a lot uh -huh. and that brings us a lot of pain, I really, I, re I really took it serious. And I trained my family on how to be, on how to <laughs> validate each other. Yeah. <laughs> so validation for me, I, uh, it's simply, it's not agreeing with the person. Some people confuse that, get that confused. Mm -hmm. People think that if you're validating, you're, you're, you're agreeing with the person like, oh, yes, you're right. No, validation can simply be there. You can validate physically or verbally. A, a moment of validation can be me sitting with you and just, you know, like non-verbally expressing to you how sorry I am, you know, um, mm -hmm. being there with your pain. Can Validation, verbal validation can sound something like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I'm here mm -hmm. for you. How can I help you? How can I support you? What do you need from me right now? Um, it makes sense to me that you're feeling this way. If that happened to me, mm -hmm. maybe I'm feeling the same way, you know? Totally. So that's different. Mm -hmm. Got it. That makes sense. Cool. And so, yeah, you mentioned the story about the, the kid who was blown away by the fact that you could feel anger. Um, is there like a particular lesson that you pulled away from that? Um, you know, something that, that you think about, like one sentence or a tweet or something like that, that goes on in your head, or maybe from a different patient, some lessons that you've learned? Yeah, um, I do have another lesson from another patient, but from this kid specifically, I learned mm -hmm. 
And if I could think about a phrase is, let all of your feelings be there. Give them that space. Allow yourself to feel everything, everything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's uncomfortable. I know it's uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be sad or angry. Just let them be. Witness, witness mm -hmm. how you feel. You don't need to do anything about those feelings. That's not a sentence. That's a huge paragraph, but uh -huh. <laughs> that's Sounds basically. Like a <laughs> and so, yeah, I think you mentioned that there was a, another lesson that you wanted to share. Yes. This one was one of the biggest lessons I learned as a therapist during mm -hmm. my training. I was seeing this family. Um, it was a Latinx family. And we did sessions in Spanish. I saw the family and I saw a woman uh, individually. I saw her two times a week, individually and with her family. Okay. It was a grieving process. It was complex grief. She had lost her 25-year-old son. And it was pretty traumatic, pretty traumatic. Oh, and yeah. I was caught um, by surprise. I didn't really know. I was just starting the program. Um, I did have experience, but I didn't have experience in grief and um, mm. complex grief. I didn't have experience. So I started doing a lot of research, a lot of research on how to intervene. I read books, mm -hmm. I did supervision. It was basically the only case I talked about because I was really frustrated. And I started to intervene. I started doing very complex interventions. I was like, yes, and let's do this and let's try that and everything. Mm -hmm. And it didn't seem to, to get better, right? Um, my client and this family didn't seem to get better. And one session I just stopped and I was just like, okay, so this is not working. I'm just going to sit with her and listen and basically be there with her. Mm -hmm. And we sat there and I started actively listening to her and offering her validation. Those mm -hmm. were the two interventions I did, active listening and validation. And at the end of the session, I, I hugged her. I even cried dur during that session. And at the end of the session, she, she told me that that was one of the most powerful sessions that she had had with me. Wow. And from that moment on, that's the only thing we did. Um, it became a much more human intervention. Somehow mm -hmm. I, get, I got caught. I got obsessed. I started imposing my own goals to mm -hmm. my client, which was not really what she needed. She needed just someone to be there with her mm -hmm. and to um, support her and tolerate mm -hmm sadness and her anger and the pain mm -hmm. and for me that was life-changing so mm -hmm. uh, right now I constantly tell other colleagues that sometimes we feel like we're not doing a lot mm -hmm. because if you think about it just sitting there and listening can seem like it's not like wow the greatest intervention but it is huge for mm -hmm. some people. yeah um, yeah sometimes less is more right in this case it definitely yeah. was it yeah. less with more. Um, wow. And so do, do you think that when you discover that, you went from, what were the words you used? Reacting to responding? So initially when you got the presentation, you were reacting and somehow you stepped back and you were able to respond? Definitely. I was mm -hmm. upset with getting things, with doing therapy, quote unquote, mm -hmm. right, right way. That doesn't exist. That's a myth. Um, every 
patient, every client, every person is completely different. And sometimes we we forget that we're dealing with with humans and we, we want to take their pain away. But that's on mm-hmm. me because I couldn't stand her pain. It was painful mm-hmm. to me to watch her being pain. But mm-hmm. that's, all, that, that's all that I needed to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, do you find that as part of therapy, you have to take on the pain of your clients? Or is that there- something, uh, I don't know, that might be some blurry line that... Being a layman myself, I don't really understand. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, yeah. I'm glad you ask. Um, I think culturally, there are a lot of differences. For example, here in Mexico, um, I we are very touchy. We hug, we uh-huh. kiss. Um, you know, it's not it's not uncommon for me when I work with kids. Sometimes, you know, I my kids hug me. I hug them. We play. Um, and when I started at the Family Institute, they were like, oh, no kissing, no hugging, uh, don't receive anything, don't give anything to mm-hmm. your client. Uh, you know, like this huge um, barrier, which was really yeah. hard for me to understand because I was used to a much more warm approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is kind of blurry because sometimes you do get involved. I got involved with this client a lot. I actually got the feedback from one of the best supervisors I had, but he told me, you are getting too involved and you mm-hmm. need to watch out. And at that moment, I was like, well, I'm sorry, I don't care. I don't care if there's mm-hmm. anything to take this woman's pain a little bit away, I'm going to do it. And when I finished my program, he wrote me a letter. My supervisor wrote me a letter. And he said that that during his PhD, he saw this super, super therapist who went above and beyond for their clients and that mm-hmm. he thought that I was a super therapist. And that just made me feel super good about it and i was like mm-hmm. thank you because sometimes we feel like we're not doing enough and sometimes we feel like we're doing too much but there are certain things that we cannot separate you're gonna feel it's mm-hmm. normal to feel. you're gonna feel compassion that's gonna make you a better therapist i don't think it's mm-hmm. gonna make you a worse therapist yeah that makes sense wow yeah it's a really powerful story thanks for sharing um, yeah. so maybe we can uh i can ask you one final question i mean so it's january 2021 do you have any like tips from a psychotherapeutic or just therapeutic perspective on New Year's resolutions, following through, goal setting, things like that? Yes, I do. Um, I actually prepared them. Number one, be patient. Be very uh-huh. patient with the process. I know that in January we all feel motivated and some, uh-huh. at some point uh, that motivation fades away. Um, I was scrolling, scrolling through Instagram and the psychotherapist that I follow said that she likes to change the word resolution for practice. So it's a new mm-hmm. year practice because you're practicing, right? This is a new dynamic. Uh, you're used to your old dynamics that worked for you. And this is something new. So you are practicing, which I really like. So mm-hmm. that's my suggestion to change that into um, practice. Very important, small steps. Um, mm-hmm. Set just a few new resolutions uh for yourself, like three or four that are achievable, have a real expectation, because if you set a high expectation, you're going to feel disappointed and frustrated mm-hmm. because you're not going to reach. So very achievable. Celebrate each step of the process and mm-hmm. have something to to track your progress so you can really be proud of yourself and, and measure that progress. 
um, and just reframe your resolutions. Uh, I hear a lot of people saying like something like, oh, I want to exercise more. Let's mm -hmm. change that. Let's reframe that with, I want to have a better relationship with my body. I want to mm -hmm. improve habits. You know, that's something very different from I want to exercise every day. So those are my tips for 2021. Awesome. Thank you, Angela. Uh, thanks for being on the very first podcast and YouTube video, you know, wherever this ends up. Uh, I, I, I hope we get to have you back on again sometime soon. Ah, yes. Happy, happy to be here. <laughs>